The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Our engagement in the global work isn't a new thing for Bethlehem. I mean, it's not something from the last 30 years here. And the reason that it's good to tell old stories is because they remind us of, our, of who we are, of our values and of our culture. And so I'm going to read a, a brief clip from, I think, the first missionary that was sent out by Bethlehem. You know, we were established in 1871. We've had 152 years of grace in the global work. And in 1890, this church commissioned 29-year-old Ola Hansen and his wife Minnie to go to Burma. I cannot imagine how far Burma seemed from Minneapolis. And they went to bring the gospel to an unreached people called the Kachin. Many of you know this, but I want to tell it anyway because some of you don't. On their arrival, Tom Steller wrote this up. It's on our website, Tom, who, Pastor Tom, who faithfully served our church as missions pastor for many years. He wrote this, stories on the website. The task before them seemed hopeless. The Kachins in the early days of pioneer missions were described as vengeful, cruel, and treacherous. Even the king of Burma addressed the missionaries who came to work with the Kachins as follows. This is the king greeting the missionaries. He says to them, So you are to teach the Kachins. Do you see my dogs over there? I tell you, it will be easier to convert and teach these dogs. You are wasting your life. Welcome. I added the welcome. To make a long story short, as many of you know, these global partners labor to convert the Kachin language into written form for the first time, promoted reading, promoted the reading of the Bible, translation of the Bible, proclaimed the gospel, and planted the church. (laughs) And today there are over a half a million Kachin Christians in the world. And we've had some of them attend our college and seminary. Now, you can read more about this 
in the article entitled The Ola Hansen Story on our website. And I start with this story because God is writing stories like this right now, all the time. I mean, all over, all over the world through his people, but let me just mention the Bethlehem people. 58 global partner units. God is writing these redemption stories, these life-changing stories, these drawing people to Christ stories, the glory of God stories. 58 units. And 100 years from now, maybe somebody will write up some of those stories and tell them. In 34 different countries. Father in heaven, help us now. This is Global Focus Week. Week number one, help us to steward this grace of global outreach, global missions that you've given us. Align our hearts with your passion for your glory to spread all over this earth through the peoples and nations and mobilize us and motivate each one of us Call us to our part in your greatest cause. May we be wholehearted in our support for this great work. And I do pray that whether we go or whether we send, we would do it all for the glory of your name in the grace that you supply as glad worshipers of you through Christ our treasure. So do it in us, I pray. Preserve this grace. Fan the flames. Write the stories. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought I'd begin with answering the question, why do we have an annual global focus? Why is it that we dedicate two weekends a year, every year to this? This is not the only effort we have like this in which we we take a weekend for special emphasis and it's different from Easter, it's different from Advent because they're not so much related to the, the history of Christ and the story of the gospel but these are, these are reminders or corrections for us. Um, we do a prayer, a sermon on prayer every year at the beginning of the year. We we do a sermon on the word. We do ethnic harmony. We do sanctity of human life Sunday. Uh, we have regularly done uh, small group Sundays. These these special focus weekends function a little bit like a little bit like wedding anniversaries. You know, on a wedding anniversary, on our wedding anniversary. Uh, we remember our covenant commitments to each other. We thank God for the graces given. And, uh, and we pray for more grace in our, in our marriage. And likewise, this, this global focus reminds us of our commitment and calling to the Great Commission. And it reminds us to give thanks for the graces given. Many, many graces given. And it reminds us to pray for God's help and enablement and equipping for the work yet that lies ahead. You know, it does also remind us that 
We are to look, we are to have the mind of Christ and look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because apart from the grace of God, we are selfish people. (laughs) And we would not look to the concerns of the peoples represented in the pictures and places around the world. So it is a reminder to us that that, uh, there are other people in the world and God has love for them. I'm going to give you four things it reminds us of. Here's my list. Um, Global focus is good for us because it reminds us of God's passion for his global glory. It underscores the fact that God's passion and purpose is to be worshipped by peoples all over the world. Every tongue and tribe. And we are God's people, yes, but God has other people. Like Jesus says, there are other sheep. I must bring them also. The second thing global focus reminds us of is God's global gospel. The means by which God gathers the peoples of the world to himself to worship and enjoy him forever is the proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation of his word. And if his word is not spoken, how will people believe? The apostle Peter, remember this, after he preached the gospel of Christ crucified and risen from the dead, he called for a response from the from the crowd. This is at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He said, So therefore repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, the promise of the gospel, the news is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. So it reminds us of God's global gospel Number three, it reminds us of God's global messengers. Messengers. As Christ commissioned the apostles and the early church, so today, God, through his word, through the word of Christ, has commissioned us to be his messengers, to be his ambassadors to the world. Much like the church of Antioch, here's an assignment Just read Acts 13 and 14 in one unit together. Uh, Much like the church of Antioch, we engage corporately as a church, local church, in God's global mission. You and I, whether you go or send, we, we engage together in God's global work. In sending, supporting, overseeing our global partners. I mean, you can read it. I'll give you the quick summary. Acts 13 begins with uh, the, the elders, the leaders of the church of Antioch praying. The Lord says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the work to which I've called them. And the, and the leaders, the, the elders lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas and they go out. There's the sending and Paul and Barnabas have this, uh, I don't know, many months, maybe four or six months. I don't know how long. Mission their first missionary journey. And then they returned to the church at Antioch, kind of like our global partners returned. And uh, Acts 14, 26 says, they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I want to say Acts 13 and 14 ought to be normal church. 
And by the grace of God, he's done that here. Sending, coming, sending, I should add, sending, praying, supporting, coming back, reporting. And over and over and over again, as Christ builds his church around the world through the ages. God's global messengers. Fourth, global focus is good for us because it reminds us that God's passion for his glory is the guarantee that global missions will not be thwarted. It's not a lost cause. God has given Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth to be with us as we go make disciples. He has stated the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. The gospel will, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole earth as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. It's going to happen, Matthew 24.14. The peoples from every tongue and tribe will worship God forever through Christ Revelation 7 says, I look, this is in heaven, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And everyone in heaven replied, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to our God forever and ever. It's going to happen. It's assured. Therefore, we should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our labor in the Lord is never in vain. So that's what global focus is good for. (laughs) Reminding us of those things as well as Many others. You have to read Brad's uh, prayer letter, pastoral letter this week. If you haven't opened it, you got to open it and read it. I, I, I saw a preview of it, heard a preview from Brad, and I said, Brad, you should either preach this sermon or write it in that letter and send it to the whole church. And he chose to write the letter. <sighs> you got to read that. So my outline... With the time that remains, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of this passage. I thought of, anyway, I'm not even going to get into what I'm not going to do. The two questions that Jesus asks Peter, that's where I'm going to focus. And Peter's reply. Verse 18. Jesus asked Peter and the disciples, who did the crowd say that I am? And... The disciples answer in verse 19, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. So the general understanding of the people of Israel was that Jesus, this itinerant preacher with many disciples, was John the Baptist risen from the dead or perhaps one of the apostles, or excuse me, one of the uh, prophets 
come back or maybe a new version of Elijah. That's what Herod the Tetrarch thought. We saw that last week. He had beheaded John, but he was worried about, who is this Jesus? One of the prophets? That's what the woman of the well thought when Jesus knew that she had had five husbands and the man she was living with was not even her husband. And when he told her that, she said, you must be a prophet. The man born blind in John 9, when, when asked, interrogated, like, tell us about who this Jesus is. He said, well, he's a prophet. All I know is I was blind, but now I can see. The widow whose only son was raised. Uh, the impact of that event in, in Luke 7, which we saw a few weeks ago, was that the people exclaimed, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people, Luke 7, 16. And it was so widespread that the religious leaders didn't arrest Jesus when they wanted to because they feared the crowds who believed that Jesus was a prophet. Matthew 21, 45. So the widespread belief that Jesus was a prophet. Is that helpful? There's a widespread belief that Jesus is a prophet today. Islam believes that. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. Many affirm Jesus as a wise, moral teacher, Baha'i religion, Sikhism. Even some Jews will admit that. Even the nuns, you know what the nuns are, people who claim no religion at all. Even the nuns will point to Jesus. He is a good moral teacher. And we ought to believe and do what he says. I just don't believe in him as the Christ or son of God. Now the Bible is crystal clear. I need to say this, I think. That Jesus was not one of the Old Testament prophets or John the Baptist reincarnated. Period. But he does have a prophetic function in speaking the word of God, but let us not let that prophetic function shrink our understanding of him. Tell you why. Because Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise God made to Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 18, God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that prophet promise to Moses. But Jesus doesn't refer to himself as a prophet in the New Testament. He he does use the the, uh, Proverbial saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. But he never says, I'm a prophet. And you know what? Neither do any of the apostles, neither does the New Testament. Why not? Well, theology is right to talk about these offices of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And I'm trying to point that he does have a prophetic function. But Jesus did not want to be truncated into prophet. Why? 
Because Jesus is the word of God. Unlike the prophets who spoke the word of God to people, Jesus himself is the word of God. From the beginning, and he's come in the flesh as the son of God. The first few verses of Hebrews are are wonderful. (laughs) Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets. But, in contrast to that, in these last days, he has spoken to us, literally, in son. In his son. Jesus is the word. He is the prophetic word. He is the message from God. Not only that, but Jesus is the fulfilled prophecy. The prophets faithfully foretold the promise of the coming of Christ. And as Jesus said of Moses, Moses wrote about me. And to the disciples after his resurrection, Jesus explained, look, everything written about me in the law, I need to start over. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All that prophetic stuff, it's about him. You see, we can't say, well, he's just one of those. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. Many today profess that Jesus was a prophet or a wise moral teacher. And they think they're honoring him. I have to read. (laughs) If you've never read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, here's one of the memorable quotes. And he's pointing out the duplicity of people who say, yeah, Jesus is a great prophet. He's a great moral teacher. He's just not the son of God. He's not the Christ. He's not the savior of the world. People who think they can hold that together. Lewis points at the duplicity. Here it is. I'm going to read. It's an extended quote. It's about this big. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. End quote. Lewis goes on. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God Or else, a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense 
about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Amen. Jesus is no mere prophet, as the crowds were saying. Second question. Verse 20. But who do you say that I am? It's an emphatic you speaking to the disciples. And Peter answers on behalf of the disciples. The Christ of God. The Christ of God. God's promised Christ. And you know, Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. You are the Messiah of God. Messiah means anointed one. In the Old Testament, kings and priests were anointed ceremonial with, ceremonial, ceremonially with oil. And the anointing would symbolize two things. God's setting this person apart for the work. And number two, God's equipping this person with the spirit for the, for the work to which God had given. Looking back, you can see, you know, what about Jesus anointing with the spirit? You could say Jesus came with the anointing of the spirit as he was conceived by the Holy Spirit within Mary, his human mother. At his baptism, you could say, there's a public ceremonial demonstration of Jesus' anointing as Jesus is baptized and comes up out of the water and the spirit of dove comes down upon him. The spirit of God comes down upon him in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. He is God's anointed, God's Messiah, God's Christ. He is the one that God has sent to fulfill all the messianic prophecies of the, of the Old Testament. And this moment here where Peter professes that Jesus is the Christ isn't the first in, in Luke. You remember, you know, if, if we were to go back and ask Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, who is this son of yours? Jesus, she might respond with the words that the angel gave her. He is the son of the most high God and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the Christ. That's the Messiah. The one promised God's anointed to come to reign over all things forever. She knew. It had been given to her. If you ask Joseph, <laughs> later, later we can say, <laughs> if, you ask, if you ask Joseph, who, who is your son? What, 
Who is this son of yours? He might reply with what he was given as well. And it's messianic as well. He will save his people from their sins. The Messiah, the promised Christ was to come and to reign and to save. If you ask the shepherds out in the field, tending their flocks, what would they say? Who is this child? He is the savior who is Christ the Lord. So, gotta say the disciples are catching up with the revelation of the angels to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds from the time of Jesus' birth. By the way, I'm going to give you a plug. In two weeks, we're going to start the longest Advent celebration in history because remember I said we're going to save Luke 1 and 2 for Advent? So we have eight sermons on Luke 1 and 2 queued up. Uh, After Global Focus, we'll start Luke 1. And we won't call it Advent. We won't rearrange an eight candle thing. But but we are starting Luke 1 as soon as we finish Global Focus. And it'll carry us to the end of the year. Luke 1 and 2. Sidebar. So Mary, Joseph, shepherds, they knew because it it had been revealed to them by God. And you know, we've seen this. How weird it is. That there are these beings who know who Jesus is and they don't treasure him. Satan knew who Jesus was, tempting him in the wilderness. Man with an unclean spirit in Luke 4 said, This is the demon speaking. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And the the demon we saw more recently, Legion. This poor man, this demoniac with Legion in him. He cried out and fell before Jesus and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Have you come to torment me? So... Some know who Jesus is and treasure him. And some know who Jesus is and don't treasure him. Hate him. Reject him. Wouldn't you think that everyone who knows that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, would would receive him and believe in him and, and treasure him? That didn't happen in Jesus' day. And that doesn't happen today. And the reason it doesn't happen is not ultimately owing to culture or the influence of other religions or secularism or naturalism, family background. It's due primarily to sin. our sinful hardness of heart and our hatred of God and the blindness of sin. All of us have been created in the image of God and all of us since the fall of Adam 
have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. So Jesus comes into the world. The gospel is proclaimed to present Jesus to people. And many people, by nature, run away and hide. Jesus explained this. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their work should be exposed. People don't come to Jesus because we are sinners and we love our sin and we hate the light that exposes our sin. So naturally, in our sinful nature, we run from Jesus. That ought to cause you to think twice about being a missionary, evangelist, good neighbor. Add to that, the Bible says that we're blinded by Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Our sin keeps us away from treasuring Christ. The blindness of Satan blinds us to seeing the glory of Christ. How do you send out Ola and Minnie to an unreached people group. Turn to Matthew 16. You got to turn there. It's the parallel account of this moment. Jesus had just asked, who do you say that I am? Peter had answered here, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And verse 17 is what I want to focus on. Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That is glorious. How is it that, that Peter can say Jesus is the Christ of God? Because God has revealed it to him. And he has been blessed because God has revealed the, the truth of who Jesus is. God has overcome the, the darkness and his preference for sin in the darkness by breaking through with the light of Christ. God has removed the blinders from his eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. With a God like that, we can all be missionaries, right? And go in confidence. God will bless people by the, by the power of his word and the working of his spirit to overcome our sins and draw us to Christ irresistibly and break the blindness of Satan. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And yes, we have to admit that God uses means like, like you and I and people and global partners to carry the gospel to those who don't yet believe. And when they hear the gospel, the decisive power 
The reason people become believers is God. Now that'll send a lot of global partners. That'll give a lot of courage for you and me to talk to our neighbors. That'll give us the courage to speak the gospel to the people in the city. That's our God. That's his gospel. Revealing his Christ to people. Sinners like you and me. Blinded by sin and Satan. Now back in our text. Jesus closes the accounts. Really in both texts. But in our text 921. Jesus strictly charged and commanded them. To tell this to no one. Saying the son of man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be killed. And on the third day raised. You you know the answer. Don't you? To why Jesus said this. As he foretold his death. He told people over and over again. Don't tell anybody about this. Why did he do that? I mean it's the opposite right now. right? We're telling everybody. You know why he did that. Nobody understood this. Even the disciples didn't understand this until it happened. The Christ has come. And the Christ, Christ, yes, would reign and he would bring salvation. But what the people didn't know was that the path to his reign and saving work was through suffering and death. And resurrection. And the time had not yet come for Jesus to be crucified. Therefore, he tapped the brakes on spreading the word that he was the Christ. So that two things wouldn't happen. He wouldn't feed the political people with trying to make him king. And he wouldn't feed the Pharisees with killing him. Before the predetermined sovereign time that God had appointed For him to die and rise from the dead. That's why he kept the secret. I need to close. This is our first Sunday of Global Focus. And the note, I hope you hear it already. The note I want to strike is your gratitude, my gratitude, our praise to God for the wonder of his sovereign grace by which we are saved. By which he has broken in to reveal to us Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And know that and trust Fuel our, our, mm, for the global work that this God who is sovereign in his grace to people and calling people to himself from every tongue and tribe and nation. This is our God and this is the gospel that we're spreading around the world through our global work. And just, I just so want us to have confidence in our sending and going. If you're, if you're an Ola or a mini Hanson and you're 29 years old, take it to the bank 
that God is sovereign over the salvation of his people. And Jesus has died for people. He's purchased people from every tongue and tribe. And he's got people in every tongue and tribe that will be called forth by the gospel. And if we stay, we, we must know in our heart of hearts, this is God's work. He is in this. He's going to accomplish it. He's at work in and through it. He will be glorified through it. Not the missionaries. But Jesus will as he miraculously converts sinners like you and me. Draws us out of the kingdom of darkness and calls us into the kingdom of his beloved son now and forever to treasure him by faith forever and ever and ever. As Brad said, next week, Pastor John is going to close our global focus. Uh, He's going to do the next text and he's going to call He's going to ask you to consider whether God is calling you to go. And, you know, I think about that. A lot of times that lands on young people and it shapes their whole lives. And that, I'm praying for that. 19-year-old, 29-year-old. But also, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a unique time in history when, you know, my daughter always used to say, well, dad, when he turned 60, dad, 60 is the new 40. I mean, people are retiring with a whole lot of life left. And maybe there's a second career calling. Maybe a missionary paid by Social Security. <laughs> That'll help the budget. <laughs> so, Pastor John's going to press whether God is calling any or many of you to go and then we'll gather at my house for missions at the manse next Sunday night. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we are so eternally grateful, thankful for your sovereign grace to us. You have blessed us with the gift of faith to believe the gospel, receive and treasure Jesus. And I pray that you would continue that work through us as a local church, both near and far. I pray that you give us grace to steward and cultivate and continue the grace of global outreach that you've given us. So bless this week toward that end for the glory of your name and the joy of all peoples of this earth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.